From the Grizzly Bear Foundation, this is GrizzCast. I'm Nicholas Scapolotti, the Executive Director of the Grizzly Bear Foundation. The Grizzly Bear Foundation is a charity solely dedicated to the conservation of the grizzly bear through research and public education. In the summer of 2019, last summer, my wife Cass and I, with our dog Sitka, went on a road trip from Vancouver, British Columbia to Yellowstone, Montana, a pilgrimage of sorts to the world's first national park. Cass and I crossed some of North America's most endangered and majestic grizzly bear habitat, meeting those on the front lines of grizzly bear conservation along the way. driving up a gravel road on the east side of the Yellowstone River in Montana. It's the month of August, and we're heading to wildlife defender Doug Peacock's home, nestled in some of the most famous grizzly bear country in the world, greater Yellowstone ecosystem. I walk up to the house, and I'm warmly welcomed by a doormat that says, come back with a warrant. I take a quick, somewhat cautionary glance around. It's a relatively isolated area, and I catch a glimpse of an aluminum canoe that's been used to explore the surrounding area of Yellowstone Park since the 1970s. Doug Peacock, the grizzly man himself, defender of wilderness, an absolute force of nature, an environmental warrior, a living hero. What's the hardest part of your job? Just keeping up in, in really a fierce energy level to continue the fight. I've fought all my life. What's the most rewarding part of your job? To see hope and happiness in the faces of the people that are doing the good work of the earth. Doug is humble, dedicated. He's a fighter for the voiceless. He is a man committed to growth, wisdom, to life. Cass and I are sitting in his living room, three people and three dogs, surrounded by stacks of books and natural afternoon light. And uh, there's definitely the ruts going on. That's great advice. This is an exciting, exciting time. With a gnarled hand wrapped in bandages that he dressed himself after a recent fishing accident, Doug pours over the maps, pointing out access routes, contours, lakes, and mountain slopes. He's walking me through one of the wildest places on earth, a wilderness that saved his life, Yellowstone. And when you get to Tower, go over the pass. It's, uh, you know, it's alpine and it's lovely. And there are bears up there, you know, the, the, especially subordinate bears, because there's still a little protein in the high grasses. And then you drop down the canyon where the falls are. And you just, uh, you just follow the road south and right at the edge of uh, Hayden Valley, here's Alum Creek. I've spent maybe a year of my life 
right there. Illegally camped somewhere in the back country. Doug has traversed these remote lands for over 40 years. Beeline in the early, early morning. Tracking, studying, and living amongst grizzly bears. Long days in the sun have darkened Doug's shaved head and added a glow to his cheeks, defying his 78 years of age. The lake itself is called a man-eater, but believe me, it's equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. It, it can kick You're up. both rocking a bearded face, and I feel pleasantly proud of the similarities as I sit next to this maverick of a man, a personal inspiration of mine. Yeah, I paddle, and I, and I go down here, and this is my route. I took Kwaman up there once, you know. We did the same thing by canoe, and we uh, bushwhacked out of here and went up to the Two Ocean Plateau, which used to be a great grizz place until a white bark died. Ecologists often say that a good year for whitebark pine means a good year for grizzly bears. It's for this reason that Doug, naturalist and author, often speaks of whitebark pine cones, a favorite food of grizzly bears. Considered a keystone species in subalpine ecosystems, this tree's nuts provide a calorie-rich alpine food source for grizzlies. Like the journey he is walking me through on his map, Doug recounts a memory of a large, lightning-struck whitebark pine tree. Doug had watched a young grizzly bear dig deep beneath the towering tree to feed on the pine nut caches of industrious red squirrels. But he has since witnessed the decline and death of thousands of these slow-growing conifers, heavily impacting the grizzly bear population in the Yellowstone region as one of its major food sources disappears. What you will see, and this is interesting because there's still a few live white bark trees at Mount Washburn or Dunraven Pass when you come over, you know. But really that few. Yeah, uh, uh, there's very few surviving mature trees with cones. There happens to be a little pocket in here, but mainly you're just going to see ghost forest of dead white bark. Mm-hmm. It knocked out probably 90% of them in seven years, 2002 to 2007. With climate change. Yeah, all, all it needed. Winter temperatures rose um, a few degrees and uh, allowed the bark beetle to overwinter up another life zone into the white bark. Oh, right. You know, you need yeah. a couple, two, three days in a row, 30 below zero to kill that larva off. And it just quit happening and they're gone. They're gone everywhere. You know, the white bark are just gone. And they're never coming back. The many threats facing grizzly bear populations on both sides of the border, in Canada and the United States, are one of the reasons I am here today to speak with Doug. Today we're here with uh, Doug Peacock. It's a really great pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us at your home. Yeah. And for all the great uh, work you've done for grizzlies and looking forward to talking to you about it. I first started working in conservation when I was 25 years old with legendary Canadian environmentalists Jim Fulton and David Suzuki. It ignited an activist spirit in me. Decades earlier, around the same age that I was when I started in conservation, a 27-year-old Doug Peacock had returned home from a very different kind of fight, the Vietnam War. After returning home from his second tour as a Green Beret medic, Doug went deep into the Yellowstone wilderness, where his relationship with the Great Bear healed his spirit and helped him recover from his PTSD. When I came back from Vietnam, I did 
couldn't be around people, so I went to live in the wilderness where I was comfortable, on the Rocky Mountains. And I, uh, you know, I moved north with the snows and uh, ended up in the Wind River Range, which is one of the great blank spots on a map. I just, I was kind of tossed along a tumbling path that there were no forks in the trail. When Doug returned to the U.S., he sought anchorage and refuge in one of those great blank spots on the map, finding solace in the company of the magnificent grizzly bear. In today's world, where the long-term survival of grizzly bears are at risk, Doug credits his own continued existence to the iconic predator. He is now a legend when it comes to grizzly bear conservation, but even legends can have humble beginnings. The, the way I ran into grizzlies is I had a malaria attack in the Wind River Range and moved to Yellowstone, which was easier terrain, better weather, and I was soaking in a hot spring. That's nice that there's so many hot springs yeah, in this you know, area. Yeah, because I was trying to regain my health, you know, go to the hot spring spa. But I was soaking in a hot spring and oh, it's the corner of my eye. I mean, I'd seen grizzly tracks. I knew they were all over the place, but I really didn't know shit about grizzlies. You know, I'd, all I knew is... Had you seen one before? That... I had seen one in Alaska, yeah. but it didn't take, you know? It was away, and the bear just reared on the tundra and ran away. Yeah. But this, uh, you know, this was a mother with a couple of years, and I didn't know anything, except, you know, not supposed to get close to mothers, but cubs of any kind. And so I decided I was going to climb a tree. And the creek's only, you know, about that wide, yeah. you know, but I'm soaking in there in really hot water, because it's a hot... Boiling Creek that ends up tepid. You can get any temperature you want by going up or downstream. There's just little bathtubs in there. And so when the bears weren't looking my way, and never in this situation did the bears overtly look at me. They knew I was there the whole goddamn time. Mm. Anyway, I stood up and I was going to climb the tree and immediately I blacked out, you know, the whirlpool-like effect of the hot water. And I was so terrified. I grabbed this tree and I bashed my forehead into it and cut, you know, huge gash in my forehead and then blood's dripping down and then I was still I was still so terrified I got to the top of the tree. But when I got to the top of the tree and discovered it wasn't much bigger than a Christmas tree. <laughs> and and I'm up on the top naked. And it's cold. The wind is blowing, it's October. Yeah. And uh, those bears kept me up there for about 30, 40 minutes, wandering around, once coming within here to the fence, you know, 25 feet away. Yeah. They never looked at me. They just they were just enjoying my my demise, you know, <laughs> bleeding <laughs> blue and yeah. naked, you know, like some species of sparrow on the top of this little tiny tree. <laughs> it's interesting you... And, and, and that one took, you know, yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, a couple times you've met, mentioned that they'll... They won't look directly at you, and uh, well, they do. But when you do, when they do, it's time to get out. Yeah, it's time to leave. Fighting for nature is a lifelong commitment, and right now we need fighters like Doug Peacock. Doug is also a father, a husband, a friend, a grandfather. In his own words, he is a man out to tell the world how his life has been touched and forever changed by the enormous power and mystery of grizzly bears. A couple of years ago, my daughter and I were up on top of a, a butte in Yellowstone, 
and the wind was raging and we were huddled behind a glacial erratic get out of the wind and you know I had my daughter right next to me and all of a sudden I saw a look on her face and looked in and there, here comes a mother grizzly only about 50 feet away with her yearling cub and uh, my daughter that was a, a tense experience but I just said don't move and you know, and then the mother grizzly stood up, like, you know, they, once a bear stands up, they're not a threat to you. They're, they're looking and smelling and thinking of getting out of there. But she went through the whole thing, and mouthings and slobbering, and it took three or four minutes. And then, and then the next thing we saw is she's walking down within 30 feet of us, right in front of us. Wow. Paying no attention, although the cub looked my way. She knew times. she was there and oh, God, thought, no, I'm okay with <clears throat> And she went to the edge of the cliff, which wasn't very far away. Yeah. And there's a tree there I couldn't see. And all of a sudden I hear the sound. And it's the sound of nursing. She's nursing her cub maybe 15, 20 feet away on the edge of this cliff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, if that's not trust. Yeah, that's trust. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, the yearling cub did try to come, you know. He, he wanted to come and check us out. When the mother wouldn't look, I'd go. <laughs> I love that story. And I've experienced similar behavior myself. Bear cubs are very curious. But before they can come out into the world, their mother bear will nurse them in the winter den until it's time to emerge as the seasons change. Sows, female grizzlies, have their cubs during hibernation, after about six to eight months of gestation. Cubs, most often twins or triplets, usually stay with their mother for two, sometimes three years. As one of the slowest reproducing land mammals in North America, reproductive success often relies on environmental factors such as habitat and food availability. It's a matter of, uh, matter of the amount of food available, you know. Uh, Grizzlies have a mutual antagonism, and that breaks down in the presence of abundant food. In the natural world, it uh, starts with salmon, kind of ends up with huckleberries, but they do this everywhere. They did it in California, if you read the journals yeah. of the lost, extinct grizzlies of California. They talked about seeing herds of grizzlies in the chaparral out in the great, you know, great valley apparently digging for some kind of rodentia mm. and you know they're, they were they called them herds and, you know that's interesting because i've only ever heard of them doing that when salmon are in abundance where they're no it, it, and it and it happens again even in glaciers with uh huckleberries where i spent almost 20 i spent 20 years with grizzlies up there and i was 15 of those years i was filming so i was out with them you know same place months in the same place every year. And uh, there was a place they congregated, gathered, concentrated, whatever yeah. word seems applicable, because there was so much berries. You know, they could be, you'd see a mother and her cubs, and, you know, 100 yards away would be a couple sub-adults. And that was the last, the last of her litters. And I knew that because I went there year after year, after, and, and I saw, you know, young bears mm -hmm. grow up from four-year-olds to 19-year-olds and stuff like that. It was really a great experience. And once the resource 
breaks down, you know, frost kills the berries, or the salmon run stops, everything changes, you know, and you get a lot of, you know, that's when uh, you, you get a lot of antagonism. Deserving of both wariness and respect, humans have refused to tolerate these adaptable, intelligent creatures for centuries. At one time, grizzly bears fished on the rugged west coast of California, roamed the sweeping Great Plains, and were found from northern Alaska to central Mexico. Today, grizzly bears have lost about half of their historical range in North America. They now only occupy 2% of their former range in the lower 48 states. In less than 200 years, we reduced grizzly bear populations in the continental U.S., once numbering more than 50,000, and are now down to less than 1,500 grizzly bears. The thing I like working on grizzlies, like you yeah. mentioned that, you know, the places that we need to open corridors and things to move, and when you protect grizzlies, a whole bunch of other species. Everything, benefit. yeah. You know, I've worked with indigenous people throughout my career. I've been fortunate enough to have that experience, and um, one of the great things about that experience is hearing myths and understanding the connection of different animals to the culture. Is there something about working with grizzlies that kind of did that for you? Well, collectively, yeah. My, one of the more astute comments in my first book was by an old ranger up in Glacier, and he said, this is as close as I've seen to an aboriginal point of view, you know? Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I live with them, and, and uh, you know, I don't go out to see him or even film him, I go out and just uh, coexist and, uh, you know, you obey a certain amount of good grizzly manners and you're going to be fine all the time. <laughs> yeah. I no longer surprise them. And the only thing a mother grizzly cares about is the safety of her cubs. As long as you are not a threat, you can get out of it. I mean, I've been charged a couple dozen times. I've been 40 or 50 times, you know, with mother grizzlies from here to the greenhouse. And, yeah. and uh, all you do is uh, don't present a threat. And it means, you know, you don't look straight at them. You don't move and you don't, you don't scream. Yeah. You know, you just, you just make sure she perceives you as not a threat. Right now we're fighting for wilderness in the heart of it because it's some excellent grizzly habitat and uh, the people that are doing the real work fighting for wilderness are getting a lot of slack from ATVs and mountain bikers. Once you put a mountain biker in there, it's not wilderness anymore. It's mechanized travel and I'm helping that fight, advocating for pure wilderness. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, our, our kind of official wilderness is an approximation, but it's probably the closest we can get within our laws to what we really need, you know, which is how, how it was a couple hundred years here. Yeah. A couple hundred years ago, you know, when there were grizzlies all over that. Fighting for wilderness in the heart of it. Couldn't have said it better myself. Doug's story is one of the many real life examples of how the environment shapes our identity where we've come from, who we are, and who we will become. I was saying to my wife as we pulled in, you know, Doug talks the way I want to talk publicly. I talk about that, you know, quietly, and I go out as the executive director of the Grizzly Bear Foundation, and 
as an ambassador, but the things you say, I say those too. And you give me confidence to say those out loud. I think, as you said about climate change, there's a little bit of time. We've heard with but not a lot wildlife of and biodiversity, even less time. Um, but we need to start talking stronger with people and bringing them into this, this fight that we're in. I mean, uh, the, the whole sense of urgency that, uh, you know, that, this, this is just an example of what should be done. I'm not sure we're going to have enough time to complete it or anything. You know, I just know right now I think it's the best thing to do. And, uh, and you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm bleak about the future and I have children. I have a granddaughter now. And uh, I'm just going to fight to the end. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah. Me too. I think that that's what keeps me going. And I think what, you know, I get to spend this time on this planet. And if I get to fight for something that I love, mm. oh, what, a, what a great way to live. Yeah. When I met Doug for this interview, I wasn't surprised when I felt right away that we were kindred spirits in one of the longest battles in history to protect one of North America's most iconic species, the grizzly bear. I'm fighting for grizzlies, but it could be any other animal, including Homo sapien. I'd be doing the same damn thing. Yeah. And things have got to move. Uh, I'm not sure we've got enough time to do all this, but I'm not going to quit trying. You know, our, the human mind, our consciousness, was evolved in habitats whose remnants today we call wilderness, you know. Perfect happiness for me is living in a wild habitat with all the intact animals that were here a thousand years ago. Or in this part of the country, you could say 250 years ago. Doug says that the grizzly bear saved his life. In return, he has devoted his life to saving the Yellowstone grizzlies and has gone on to help many other important conservation organizations get off the ground. Thanks very much, Doug. It's great to be here in your yard in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And yeah. It's a real pleasure to meet you and spend time with you. Uh, likewise, man. I hope you have enjoyed kicking off our journey together with Doug Peacock as we re-envision what it means to be a conservationist and stirring our imaginations for how we can all make space for the wild in our lives. I'm Nicholas Scapolotti, the executive producer and your host. This episode was written and edited by our producer, Lindsay Marie Stewart. Our story producer is Leah Hutchings. Interviews were recorded on location in Montana by Cash Shield. Allo composed our theme music. Original solo acoustic guitar by John Denvor. This episode features the acoustic and original version of Go With You by singer-songwriter Mike Adele. Grizzcast original album art by Marie Wyatt with graphic design by Lindsay Marie Stewart. To help us protect grizzlies, the lands they roam, the food they eat, and the wild we share, please make a donation today. Tune in to our next episode, Legacy as I travel to the northern boundaries of the Arctic Circle to meet with bear specialist and wildlife photographer Phil Timpany, a hunting guide turned conservationist. Phil is known as the Bear Whisperer of the Yukon. Learn more at grizzcast.grizzlybearfoundation.com.
Grizzcast is brought to you in part by the Commercial Bear Viewing Association. If you are planning a bear viewing expedition in British Columbia, book with a CBVA operator. The CBVA ensures the best experience for you and the bears. To book, visit www.bearviewing.ca.